Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wrist Cheese Radio Podcast, your home for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. Schmidt is out tonight. He actually has the vid. Uh, Schmitty, wherever you are, get well soon, buddy. Uh, rest up. We got a podcast to do. In his place, I do have not one, but two guests. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a doozy tonight. And before I get to that, I would like to talk uh, Real Men Wearing Pink for a minute. If anybody saw my re- most recent post, I'm up over 4900 bucks officially on the app. Uh, that is not the full amount that I'm actually at because Strap Habit, which if you've been monitoring my feed at least, you've seen the pink straps. He managed to get a company donation match of 1000 bucks, and he's got another at least close to $500 in sales to kick in which puts me up over my last year's total of 6100 to somewhere around 6300 which is tremendous a uh, big bravo to all of you for helping out whether you donated whether you just spread the good news helped with a like a share i appreciate you either way i'm not done yet i'm still trying to get a watch donated for this uh, i was really trying to knock down the door of nomos for the Deep Pink 38. I thought that would have been an ideal watch for real men wear pink. Uh, they did not get back to me. I've, I've emailed them twice. I haven't gotten a response back. So that is what it is, I suppose. I'm still working on that, though. I would like to maybe try to approach 10K for this year. That would be a an amazing feat, I think. So I'm going to keep trying. But again, big thanks to everybody who has helped out on that. So this episode... It's going to be interesting for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, again, I have two guests with me. They are people who are near and dear to me. And they're also, coincidentally, the original cast of the Wrist Cheese Radio podcast. Uh, a little background. When I often speak about my close friends who sort of helped me, helped usher me into the hobby helped get me into it and sort of are the enablers that uh, I guess have gotten me here, whether I should be thanking them or cursing them. Uh, These are the guys. So I I have two almost what seems like lifelong friends. Uh, We met through actually a a relative of of mine probably, oh my God, over 20 years ago at this point. And we've sort of just been friends ever since. Um, It goes back probably to middle school, if I had to say. So uh, my two friends, their names are Bryant and Lucas. They've sort of uh, turned me into the the fiend that I am today. But also, um, they've you know they've helped shape my page in a lot of ways. They've not only supported me, but just we have a a, a group chat that's pretty epic that I I probably can't say the name of without uh, checking the <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I can't say the name of without, without checking the explicit box on here. So I'm not going to, but. Uh, it's something that keeps me going day to day and keeps me grounded and sort of gives me the alternate opinions that I, I almost crave, right? Like, obviously I have my own and I think a lot of people look to me for those, but I think a lot of people get tired of that mainstream narrative type of thing that goes on in this hobby. And, and we kick it around and we, we often will dissect that sort of thing. And it, it's really, a sort of a special place for me where I can both, uh, draw creative inspiration and also just have a free flowing conversation where I don't have to worry about, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm down talking a, a watch or a brand or whatever, like we just, we just kick it back and forth and it's great. So before I get too deep into this, um, I guess I'll let each one of them give uh, a little intro as much as they want. Um, 
whichever one of you kick, want to kick it off first, you can go ahead. Yeah, I can start. Uh, that was a nice intro. The enabler bit was a, was a little harsh, but uh, <laughs> true. I'd like to point out that you actually came up with the name of the, the group chat, so that's on you. I did. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for bringing us on. It's been amazing to see your growth over the past couple of years. Truly amazing. You're at what, like 27,000 followers now? Yeah, almost 28, which is, again, still wild. It's insane. Yeah. Um, that studio, you got to you gotta upgrade that studio, though. I do. It's a, it's I was, a I was, very, I it's a dungeon. Before. It looks like, it reminds me of the, uh, you ever see that uh, Jeff Bezos Amazon picture? Like the, the original office picture where Amazon.com is written. Like that's graffiti. my, that's my inspiration. The graffiti <laughs> sheet on the wall. That's what it looks like. That is exactly what this is. <laughs> The Prodinky, what is that? The uh, the curtain hanging behind you? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, you, you'll get there. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind you'll get there. Yeah, uh, it's amazing to be here. Amazing to see uh, how far you've come. Um, the podcast is what? Uh, how many listeners now? We are Second. somewhere around 36,000 downloads. I don't know exactly how many weekly. Usually weekly we get somewhere between 1,000 and like 1,600 listens, depending on the episode. So I mean, interesting enough that people will tune in weekly in that kind of number. I mean, I know other ones probably do a lot more, but hey. It's a good show. I'll say this. Even if you weren't my buddy, I would still probably have hit the subscribe button. It's it's that good. I appreciate it. So, so good job. Thank you, Brian. Luke, you want to go? Yeah, that, you know, that was that was beautiful, Brian. That kind of reminded me of like, you know, those little like testimonials and speeches that people gave at like the weddings? You know, like the best friend or the best man or something like that. That was really sweet. Really, he, like does, he, he deserves it. He deserves it. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's awesome. And congrats again on the uh, on the number for the real men wear pink. Uh, that's just so dope. Um, Oris last year was was dope. I hope Nomis pulls their heads out of their asses and realizes how how good of a cause this is. Because uh, yeah, that would be amazing too. But anyway, think- yeah, it's. Uh, well, I didn't get an I didn't get a no. I just didn't get a response, which I don't know if that's more disrespectful or less, but yeah, I, I know like, it's like it's like it's like when you reach out to a girl on a dating app and then just goes to you after they match with you, like they don't say anything, like, you know, what the hell knows, you know? Well, Set you your preferences put, you, right. You gotta put meme god in your in your description. Yeah, I, yeah, honestly, you probably should have went with that. Your inbox yeah, be full, it. bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, who's uh, yeah, who's man, the most Who's the most influential follower you have on Instagram? Oof. In, in the in the watch world. Oh, I don't know. Because that guy Mark from Crown and Caliber follows you, right? He does. He's got to have Mark, some pull. Mark from Island Watch follows me. Uh, some decently big people follow me from different locations. Fellow Long Islander, no less. Yes, fellow Long Islander. Big shout out to Mark. Might have to get <laughs> one of those guys to uh, put in uh, put in the work for you. That might help. Or maybe one, one of them could donate a watch. How about that? True, true. Crown and Caliber, Island Watch, let's go. Come on. I, I won't on. say let's no to that. Let's get one of these crazy Seikos going on here, you know? That'd be pretty dope. Guys, if you're listening, come on. So needless to say, I mean, I think, obviously, we kind of know what we always do, but this is sort of the conversation we would always have, whether it be you know, in the backyard, in the, the cigar shop at Matador, shout out to Matador Cigars, Long Island. There's like eight locations, but 
Ashley, Ludo. shout out. <laughs> yeah, nice touch, Ashley. Fantastic work. We miss you, both left and right. So we would have these conversations wherever it might be. You know, and it, and it was always like a podcast, and that's why we always said we should just start one. And that, and that was where the idea of Rishi's Radio sort of came from. And, you know, we go up and down, same, same as always. We talk about different releases. We talk about what we like, what we don't like, sort of the, the landscape in general. Um, I guess before we get into sort of the ethos of watches and stuff, uh, do you guys want to kick in a, a few new releases? Uh, I'm sure you've both seen the Tudor Ranger by now. How do we feel about that? Eh. I didn't really pay much attention to it, to be honest with you. It's hard for me to pay attention to it. It gets put in front of my face like all the time, and I just continue to be underwhelmed. It is a it is a black face. It's got a couple of Arabic numerals on it. It wishes was an explorer. It has an hour hand that looks like a penis. Like, why why am I buying this? It's the, it's the same boring watch, but ooh, it has a new in-house caliber. Great. Now it can almost kind of justify the price. Sorry, but I'm out. It's Not just um, <clears throat> me personally, just where I am in my own personal watch journey. I'm kind of like tuning out um, any new releases from any other brand other than Zinn, which is my favorite brand uh, currently. Um, so that's really the only company that I've been paying attention to. I guess understandable. And for me, I mean, again, I, I think a lot of people expected that in 36. And now that I've seen it, just a quick note on last episode, I said it was all brushed. There is a tiny bit of polish around the bezel. Not that it makes a tremendous amount of difference, but now that I've seen the actual photos of it, I could say definitively it is not 100% brushed, but there's a tiny bit of polish on it. Again, not that changes much, but did, did some nerd call you out for that or something? <laughs> no, no. You know what it is? People just sent me pictures of it. They sent me pictures from all angles because obviously I talked about it on the last episode and yeah. it was the hot new release. And when you have, I guess, sort of the reach that I have, anytime you mention anything, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, somebody just sends you a picture of it. I don't really know why that is. I don't know if it's sort of a just validating what you're talking about. Hey, here it is, or if they're trying to prove you wrong or what, but you know, there's, there's no, uh, there was a harsh language attached to it. It was just, here it is. And I was like, Oh, okay. I see. And I, I asked, I said, is that polish around the bezel? I said, yeah. So it's not completely brushed, but I don't think that changes my opinion too much. Um, my, I guess my real issue is I don't know if it, I don't know if it's worth all the hubbub. If you're going to just jump from, you have the black Bay 36 already and it comes in at nearly a thousand less and it does everything you already want i don't know if this watch was needed given the amount of differences and sort of the the niche it fills i mean again i i'm still trying to figure out if this is a tudor release or if this is a rolex you can't have this release like you know you can't get a 1016 you can't get an explorer do you want a tudor ranger what is the initial what's the initial buzz around that watch is it going to be one of those like you know how the black bay gmt the first what year and a half two years was kind of impossible red, to get is it the same hot. situation with with this one i'm getting sort of that feeling right now i'm getting that black bay gmt that black bay 36 blue feel about it where right now it's the hotness and in maybe a year it won't be and you'll see them going for much more 
uh, reasonable prices and more readily available. Obviously, right now it's going to be white hot because like anything that drops from a Rolex entity, it's just it's immediately white hot. It's it's become it's 39, that way. right? It's 39, yes, 30, 39 yeah, millimeters. Yeah. Correct. Any, anything from the Rolex umbrella that's 39 instantly people's ears perk up, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, especially since the the Explorer vacated the 39 millimeter size. I mean, I, I think a lot of people were big fans of that watch. I can't say I'm one of them, but I think a lot of people were really bummed that they took that away. And so this was the sort of the perfect substitute, I guess. And you're getting a bit of the 1016 look to it. For me, I don't think so. But I think for a lot of people it is. And I guess if you're going to buy that, more power to you. How do we feel about the uh, the Breitling, um, the new Super Ocean, that massive chapter ring? You called it the, the, the paddle hand last yeah, episode? Well, that, well, I think that's the actual name is the paddle <laughs> hand. I mean, it's... It, that's you know, a paddle. And it's interesting because that is actually the minute hand. So that's that throws me off a lot because I think just naturally looking at watches, I'm used to the thicker sort of more stout hand being the hour hand. And so having that paddle on the minute, and I understand why they did that because the old version, the 2005 reference was a chronograph and that, that fat hand was on a hand that only timed minutes around for a chrono because it was a dive chrono and that's really all that matters underwater, as Schmidt explained. So they put it on the minute hand here, but I think that is going to detract from my ability to read the time appropriately at a glance and i understand for a lot of people that's not a big deal for me i still use my watch to tell time i still want it to be a good experience when i'm using it the chapter ring i don't know again i think i like the 36 millimeter best i know people who have seen it have said that's that's a very small size i understand for a diver that is a small size but i think it doesn't come with that sort of larger clunky bezel. It, it has almost that steel bezel, sort of like a Doxa look to it. And I think I like that. I'll have to see it in person. Maybe I'll stop by somebody who carries it. I don't know if London or somebody carries it. Maybe I'll go to check it out. But I guess I'll reserve my judgments. I mean, I, I don't think I'm picking one up anytime soon, but I think maybe the feeling towards it now that people have seen it in the metal is a little better than when they first saw it. And they're like, what is this? thing with the giant chapter ring and the huge hand on it i don't know what you guys thought of it look even even if i was in the market for that watch one question i would ask myself is in how many years is breitling gonna completely update the look of the super ocean again because i feel like they just we were just getting used to the new look right, right. with the with the funny with the funny numerals the, 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 the comic sans numerals <laughs> um and then they come out with this so that that's something that would bother me yeah, honestly, like, I don't, I think neither of those things really bother me so much as the gigantic chapter ring and uh, a movement that's basically in, uh, in a 28-24. You know, it's a four or $5,000 watch. Like, come on, we can do yeah. a little bit better than that. You know, four or $5,000, I'm expecting something. And like, it probably has the, has the movement they actually got from Tudor, right? They got the three-hand version that's on the uh, the Super Ocean Heritage. So why can't they slap it in there? Like, I don't, I just, I don't get that. Like that to me, just doesn't make any sense. Why am I spending that much money on it? Uh, fit and finish. Like it only goes so far. What right? watch, like, what watch do they have that Tudor movement in? Uh, the super ocean heritage. It's like that very sterile version of the super ocean. And, yeah, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're asking how much for that one. 
I, th I think it's like somewhere in like the like the same price range too. So like it doesn't like I don't know. It's kind of I don't know. It's just it kind of blows my mind a little bit. Like why they would why they would even charge that much for it. The paddle hand doesn't bother me that much. The chapter the gigantic chapter ring kind of bothers me. But I guess like if it if it has a useful function, then like okay. Especially because that chapter ring reduces the size of the dial. It's like the like the actual like time telling face. Yeah. Then then okay i guess i can kind of justify the huge paddle hand because then you're you kind of had to pare down um how you actually read the time from this thing to be able to accommodate this gigantic chapter ring which is also for visibility i guess right so like okay from a functional standpoint it makes sense to me but like yeah if i got four or five grand or whatever this thing this thing runs i'm not spending on that not i'm not sold not feeling it and that tutor we just talked about is around three. So like, again, not that you want to pick up one or the other, but by value proposition alone, you're already leaning towards tutor, I feel. Oh, absolutely. Not to mention the brand equity that you get with it. Not to mention the fit and finish that you get out of it. I mean, I'm sure there could be some people in, out there who say like, oh, Brightling bracelets are fantastic or whatever, but like tutor's right up there with them. You brought up... Uh... Bro, you brought up last episode, I think the, the Pelagos left-hand drive with the roulette date wheel. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. It's a That's sharp a watch. watch. Uh, I like yeah. that watch. And it's got red text, if I'm not mistaken. It's got red Pelagos on the dial. It still has the essay on the dial, but the Pelagos is red, which I kind of like. Um, I only say that because ever since I got the EZM11, it's, it's a Destro Chrono. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like Destro should be the standard right-handed, right-handed watch. Like this is, I, I didn't think much of it when I first got it. I'm showing these guys on, on, on camera right now, but this is really, you know, I like it. It's very comfortable. It's the unobtrusiveness. My, yeah. The unobtrusiveness. Um, I just feel like this is the right way to, for, for a right-handed person to wear a watch on their left wrist. So... I like Destro's now, I guess. Yeah, that, that LHD is a, is a sneaky model. I feel like that's almost one of those that could creep up one day in, in sort of the collector market where they're like, it had red text, it has a roulette date. They put, yeah. It's each, a Pelagos, like, you each know. Each case back is quote unquote numbered. Not that that means anything because it's not limited, but it's numbered. Does anyone else do that? Where it's not limited, but they still write an individual number on the case back? I feel oh, like I've seen that. that. Yeah, few and far between, but I feel like I have seen that. But, I, you know, I, I, I do feel like that's going to be a sneaky collectible one day, maybe. Yeah, I like that watch. My, my uh, first Omega in space was that. That's Speedmaster I had for a brief period. Yep. That was one of those numbered but not limited. The only thing is, so you had the Pelagos, and I've handled a couple of other Pelagoses. And one thing I noticed is... The titanium that they use scratches very easily, very easily. And it's a type two, right? I, I think it's type, uh, titanium, yeah, grade two titanium. Yeah. Scratches very easily and it stains easily too. Well, what was the other titanium watch? I had the, um, the Zenith Defy, yeah. which I think was grade five, but that's yeah. stained easily too. Like, I don't know what it is. Like maybe oils on my thumb against the case would just leave a stain there that I couldn't scrub off. All right, you got to stop cranking it with your watch on, dude. 
<laughs> well, the, the interesting part about titanium watches is they do have sort of an exterior patina that happens pretty regularly. I know a lot of people like that about them in that they might scratch seemingly easier, but they also almost, they almost develop like a film around it. I, again, I don't know how this works. I don't know if it's oxidation or what it is, but it develops this sort of outer coating and it results in a little bit of a lack of luster, but at the same time, it almost hides all those imperfections. And I know a lot of people have spoken that they like that about titanium. This patina you're talking about, is that, is that like the, the staining that I'm, that I'm talking about? I think that might be it. I think it might be sort of it, it, the way people have described it to me. And again, I owned a Pelagos. I didn't really notice anything except for it's at times it seemed like it dulled out a little bit on the metal. And that might be what that is. Again, I don't necessarily thrash my nicer watches. So maybe it didn't apply to me, but people have told me when they scratched it up or when they have left marks on it, that the titanium after a while would almost develop like a coating around it. And again, I don't know why it is. I don't know if it's just from being exposed to air, but it almost, uh, so it develops this coating and it almost, it makes it seem like it's a little more dull, but it also almost hides all the imperfections on the watch. So I don't know if that's a plus or a minus and who that's good for, but it's definitely that, interesting. The, the bezel's a plus still to this day, probably oh, the best bezel I've ever turned. I'm, I not a, I'm not a big bezel turner guy, but just, you know, that's, it's worth noting that that is some bezel on that watch. The bezel in the class for me, second or none. The, Bezel for me, best bezel click, like satisfying bezel click, either Damasco or your Zen. The, the 60 click, the 60 click bezel is where it's at, man. It's just nice and chunky. Like you feel it. There's no like, there's no doubt in your mind that the that bezel moved in exactly the position that you wanted it to be. It's not halfway or, or some other fraction in between like minute markings or anything like that. And I get obviously there's a, there is a function behind that, but like it's just. It just feels good. It's almost like it just—it's like popping like bubble wrap. Like it just feels awesome. It feels good, but I try not to comment on bezels because I feel like it's such a watch nerd thing to comment on. Like but we are watch nerds. I've—I've I've never once had to turn the bezel on this to use it. I've never once in my life on this watch that I'm holding here, the Zen Easy M1, in my life have been like, oh, let me use this bezel so I can use it for its intended purpose. So does it have a nice bezel? Yes. Have I ever used it? Practically no. You're not, you're not Tim Maso like with his, with his EZM11 timing stuff with it. By the way, does he follow you, Tim Maso? Uh, he does not. He, does he not. needs to. What is he doing? Love that guy. He's, he's like the final boss you got to get. <laughs> uh, yeah but i think that's sort of what you're talking about is is kind of the part of the idea as to why we were originally going to start a podcast in the first place is that there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this hobby and I, a lot of it's for show in things like using a bezel to time things using a chronograph to time things listen i can pull my phone out of my pocket and just say to it hey time 15 minutes and it'll time me 15 minutes. I don't have to use a complication and come back to it and hope I get it right. right. By the time I look back, it'll happen. Right. 
I'm not trying to say watches are defunct completely. They're still useful tools. They are still plenty usable. But I feel like things like that are sort of the almost justification people use for collecting as if you need one. Look, you guys know my stance. When we when we first started talking about doing a podcast, I would always say this this was my personal stance. I think that watches are just status symbols. It, it really boils down to that. It's nothing to be ashamed about, but it's it's a way in which <clears throat> predominantly men um, can kind of show off. And so it's jewelry. What's that? It's jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. Jewelry. Well, women too, right? Women can show off with them too. But yeah. Of course. Of course. And especially nowadays, where again, the complications are a little outdated. They're not so necessary. Again, things like a date are still plenty useful. We use them daily. But in the past, where we had things like regatta timers and chronographs and things that we would actually use them i mean even even in the new top gun they show an iwc chronograph being used i don't know exactly what the hell that guy was timing but <laughs> but he tried to put a, a useful spin on sort of an old complication oh the guy in the submarine not the submarine the the, uh, the carrier ship yes yeah i think With he was the, timing uh... timing maverick's run but you know it, it's hard to find useful and practical uses for complications now i know things like maybe calendar watches and i feel like the date complications and things like that are probably the most useful obviously things like a moon phase not so much we don't really that's not really that interesting to us unless unless you're like a fisherman or something you need to use you want to know when the next full moon is or you're doing you're somebody who works at night and you need to know i don't know when the fields are going to be lit well i have no idea but (laughs) But I think that it, that sort of all lends to the, I don't want to call it a lie, but just sort of what we tell ourselves as to why watches are cool. And that's that's not why it needs to be. Like we can sort of just be into them and that's justification on its own. We don't need to say, hey, this is used for racing. Hey, this is used for timing sailboats. Hey, this, is, this can measure down to a hundredth of a second or this will, you know, skip a leap year on its own just because it's an amazing calendar complication i don't think we need that justification i think we can just justify wearing them as you said whether it be as jewelry or just a prestigious and cool complicated piece of machinery that you own i don't think there needs to be necessarily a reason to be proud for owning it just so long as you like the fact that you're owning it yeah i mean that that the post you had a couple of weeks ago with the guy sitting on the uh, recliner watching TV. Hey, that's me. Hey, that's me. Hey, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> watching like watching Top Gun, watching James Bond. You, I mean, you basically nailed it. Like uh, I'm clearly not a German SWAT force uh, military officer. I sit at a desk and digitally advertise all day. Uh, my day job. But um, I still think it's cool to have one of these. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think I think the date complications still are useful because it's nicer to be able to look at your wrist than like to to go and pull out your phone or something. But like that's just kind of like an added benefit to the jewelry because obviously you can get another watch that already displays that for 20 bucks at Target, you know, like. But if there ever was a useful complication that you actually can use for convenience sake, then I think it's that I think it's the date functions. 
Um, I don't think anybody's forgetting what month it is. I don't think any, you know what I mean? Like, or what year it is. I don't think like annual and perpetual calendars have that much of a function other than the fact that this is cool to say that you wasted a bunch of money on it. But <laughs> a lot. Uh, I mean, the, the, don't get me wrong. It's still, still awesome. It's still great to look at. If nothing else, like the complication is just cool to see it on the face of the dial. Yeah. And I think that sort of just harkens back to why we were originally going to start a podcast and sort of have these more realistic talks about things and sort of off the cuff opinions, because it's, it's easy to get lost, especially in the Instagram world or the, the media and marketing world in the, the drumming up of the story, right? The stories of the watches are always stuff and the, the touting of specs and complications and, histories and you got to hand it to them watch companies and the outlets that cover them do a tremendous job promoting them from all angles i think after a while you sort of become jaded to that and i think there was a point where we all hit that and i think that was probably one of the driving forces in me really pushing forward with the account is is that we at some point said we have to cut through all this nonsense, right? I mean, I appreciate a good history. I appreciate good mechanics, good branding, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, what do I really need? And what do I really want to own? I mean, you know, I say it all the time. I really, I really love Seiko's, but that's just because I honestly love their design. I love their, the design that resonates in most of their watches. And I realized that they're usually not the most complicated, not the most accurate and so on, but they deliver a full package at usually a very good price to the point where that's what I enjoy. And that's what I want to collect. It's not so much that it's a prestigious thing to own or that it's a super spec thing. I mean, my grand Seiko, maybe notwithstanding, that's truly just a work of art on all levels, but you know, I, I think everybody kind of reaches that level of, wait, do I really need to buy into all this nonsense or can I just sort of develop my own tastes and go from there? And I think it, that was a big turning point for me. I don't know about the both of you. Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the humps that people who get into watches will have to overcome at some point is sifting through all of the... Um, the influence that can hit you. Like um, I got the big pilot and uh, I'll admit John Mayer was an influence on that purchase. Like I watched his videos on Hodinkee and the way he just talked about it. I liked the watch before I saw him talking about it, but then listening to him, the way he talks is, is he's a very eloquent speaker. And the way he spoke about that watch kind of like legitimized it for me. And that influenced my purchase. Now, after I started wearing it for a while, <clears throat> there were things about the watch that bothered me. Um, and that's that kind of helped me overcome that hump that I'm talking about is like, how do I stop paying attention to uh, the stuff you see online that can come across as genuine, but has you know a tinge of influence undercurrent to it? that might get you. Right. So that was kind of like my hump in my own personal journey. 
it, for me, it's it's a matter of of knowing when you're being honest with yourself, and even knowing when when the people that you're talking to, and not just like the three of us, but just in general, are are being honest with themselves. And we we hear this stuff like all the time uh, about about people's collecting journeys and their grail watches, and then kind of like BSing themselves into into thinking like. Okay, yeah, I can't afford this watch, but that's just part of the journey or something like that. No, 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 it's not. It's, you're full of crap. You just want it because it's a it's a great status piece and it's it's expensive and it's awesome. And it sucks that you can't afford it. <laughs> it's the same reason why we 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 go nuts for Rolex right now. And you know what? I got sucked up into the Rolex craze. Well, right, let's hold on. My... You you were a Rolex at retail boy. Like you were you're a, a living legend currently in the in the market. I, oh, I, oh, no, no, no. I'm a legend because I didn't buy it at retail. I got a 5% discount. From That's an right. And you ordered yeah. it custom. Yeah. Steel Rolex, no less, baby. So yeah, like, you, you got, you got shares like literally right, right before, before, right before. Right before Rolex went nuts. Yeah. yeah. And like, and the thing is though, like I, I, I wasn't being like, that's it. Like I was not being honest with myself why I bought that watch. I bought that watch be, like, because I liked the branding and I wanted to feel important. And first of all, I needed to be honest with myself. Like, that's why you're buying it, not because it's you're celebrating a success or a birthday or, you know, no, no you're not. No, you're not. You want to feel important. And <laughs> more importantly, uh, you're not. And nobody gave a, a flying F about <laughs> the fact that I owned a Rolex. I got one comment on that watch. It was from a dude. So like, <laughs> who cared? You know, I ended up selling that watch and I walked away learning a very valuable lesson. And sometimes when I when I when I read um, you know, comments or when I listen to some of my favorite content creators on YouTube or podcasts and, and uh, Instagram meme gods, you know, I, I ask myself, you know, who are these, you know, which ones are actually being honest with themselves and how frequently are they actually doing it? Now you, you know, bro, you're pretty, you're pretty down to earth, I think, but, um, and I'm not just saying that because you're my friend, but um, I think that I think that there are a lot of people out there who are who are for the most part, but every once in a while you still kind of hear it. Like, like I, I'm a huge fan of Tim Moss, so he does it, you know. Um, and I just think like like you gotta you gotta take a step back and just ask yourself like, are you a little detached from reality as to why you're buying this thing in the first place? You know. So that that was it for me. And then now like I look at watches in a completely different way. And I last purchase was. When did I get that Seiko? A couple of years ago? Like two years I ago? I think so. Yeah, that was my last purchase. And uh, I'm still I'm still thinking, you know, still thinking a lot about my next one. It's probably going to be that vintage Constellation because I've been fiending for one of those for a couple of years. But at least I know, like, that's what I really, really want, you know? Yeah, that, that's something that I want to ask you guys. It's like, where are each of you currently as it relates to watches? What are you focused on? Is there a theme that has evolved in your journey? Bro, you want to go first? Because I've been doing a lot of talking. Uh, you know, I'm always in a weird state of sort of simultaneous expansion and contraction. I'm always trying to get rid of stuff and make room for new stuff. But I always feel like I'm trying to reduce the number overall. Let me ask you this. Do you feel pressure to collect in a certain way because of how far you've come with your social presence? You know, I don't, I feel, I almost feel more obligated to collect in a more genuine way 
to how I enjoy it and how I want to, because I feel sort of people look to me as that, yeah, for those sort of truths. I, you know, again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I feel like people look to me as a, a little bit of almost like a truth teller, sort of a, a realist, somebody who keeps it real. Um, and I, and I've always sort of made no mistake about it that I, I've unapologetically loved Seiko. And even though I accept their, their little faults here and there, and people complain about whether it be alignments or movement accuracy, whatever, again, they offer such a, a wide range of quality of watches. You can, you can always find what you need, but you know, at the end of the day, that is always what has resonated to me since day one. I mean, I think you guys remember when we were we were sizing my green turtle in an Atlantic City casino hotel room, right? Luke, that was great. Luke, Luke was hammering it, trying to figure out how to use the pin and collar bracelet. I had no idea what the hell was going on. We were watching Mark from Long Island Watch on YouTube, trying to figure out which link side of the link that the, the collar goes in when you hammer it through. Finally, we got it so we can go play craps. But I think you all remember that. That was, I mean, it was goddamn half a decade ago, but... Like that was, I, it was. I have uh, I have no recollection of that, by the way. And that's why <laughs> I remember thing. that. That was that was a great experience. It was. <sighs> oh my god, my memory's shot. <laughs> but yeah, that is, that is one thing. That's one. That's one thing I always bring to the group. For some reason, I have a stupidly accurate long-term memory, and I can always bring up bring up some elephant. obscure reference to something that happened years and years ago, but. Yeah, I remember that vividly. And I remember Luke handed it to me and goes, if this thing falls apart, it's not on me. <laughs> <laughs> I accept no liability for this. That's <laughs> exactly what he said. And yeah. I think we went right to the craps table. But, yeah. but I, you know, those, those designs, they spoke to me then. Did we speak, win? Did we win that night? I think that was a good trip, if I'm not mistaken. So do we need to do that next trip? Is bring a Seiko and resize I got to bring a Seiko. We got to size this thing. <laughs> okay. Let's go. But, you know, they, those watches spoke to me then. They speak to me now. And even though I've, I've sort of moved more, a little more towards the vintage Seiko, just because I think those are the, I don't want to use the word true, but the, the, the true essence of the Seiko design language lies in those older Seikos. You know, I still love them and I love what they put out and I'm really just enjoying sort of the ride. But, um, you know, again, you can find whatever you want, whatever price range they give you. And I, and I, I can't fault them for it. And so I, I guess that's where my heart will always lie. There's a few pieces scattered about from different brands that I also want to grab. But, you know, right now I really want to just condense down to some to to things that I want to wear daily. I don't want too many obscure watches. I think people focus too much on that. I think people focus on, oh, I need a dress watch for dress occasions. I need a chronograph for God knows what the hell. Like, look, if you never dress up, why do you need a dress watch? And even then, do you? I don't know. So I, I try to avoid those now. I try to just get down to, I want it to be as tough of a decision every single day when I look at that box that I spread the love out evenly on purpose, not because I feel obligated to. See, that's what I find amazing. What you just said, you want that conundrum. That's something you covet, right? Yeah. What this hobby has made me realize is that yes, everyone's different and that's totally okay. Like what you just said, like you want that box full of tough choices. That's my worst nightmare. <laughs> that's my worst nightmare. I don't want to decide between two watches. I just want one watch on my nightstand that I grab and put on my wrist. That's me. Totally opposite of you. I think for a lot of people, that's a very real 
aspiration. I just don't know if everybody has the will to get there. <laughs> For me, it's, I don't know, like the, the drive has calmed down a lot. You know, drive to go and acquire a new piece has really calmed down a lot. And for me, it's more like, does this really like grab me? Probably after you came to terms with what you were talking about before, the, uh, the reason why you got that Rolex. Probably once you came to terms with that, that's probably when you yeah, evolved. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I look at it mainly through the lens of smiles per dollar. Like how much enjoyment am I going to get for the money that I spend on this thing? I like that. Right? I like that Smart too. For dollars. So like, like if I spend $200 on an Orient, I'm going to like it. On a scale of, you know, one to 10, my enjoyment factor is going to be like a solid seven and a half for 200 bucks. Right? Or I can spend, I think, $60,000 on my Grail watch that I could never buy and get a 10 out of 10 out of that. Like, am I really getting the same smiles per dollar? Absolutely not. Right? So like, and, you know, I'll get it and then I'll get bored of it just like anyone else does who actually buys their girl watch and then, you know, whatever, the cycle continues, right? So, like, for me, like, I, I, I ask myself that question, what is the value and the enjoyment that I'm really going to get out of it? And then I start measuring that against, you know, pieces that are out there that I can buy, you know, if I'm buying a $200 Orient, it's pretty much a disposable watch and throwing it out, right? But vintage watches, not necessarily the case. They've already hit their, you know, the bottom of their depreciation. You know, so if I buy it, Right. And then I sell it. Actually, the smiles per dollar, I got the enjoyment out of it. Probably didn't really lose anything. Maybe even gained a little bit because I already, you know, suffered on the on the uh, depreciation aspect. The problem, you know, the question is really like, am I buying it from a dealer and then selling it back to another dealer and just getting nailed on the markups? You know, but, you know, that's that's something that really appeals to me these days. And then the other thing is just like the ability, like the level of craftsmanship. Like, I don't care so much about specs anymore. And I don't think you really should because you can spend you know, $7,000 plus on a watch that has 30 meters of water resistance or a Patek Philippe that's only dust resistant and nothing else, right? Like, so who cares about the specs? But like, you know, what is the craftsmanship? What is the level of hand craftsmanship, hand finishing, which is why I love Grand Seiko so much. And some of these like smaller independent brands like Dornbluth and stuff. Uh, I, I asked myself, like, what is the quality of finish? That Seiko that I was just talking about, it's a cocktail time. It's uh, the matcha um, limited edition and i'm using air quotes because you guys can't see me on screen but uh seven thousand pieces but every time i look at the face of that watch it's something where i go damn that dial is amazing there is nothing that comes close to it in the price range unless it's another seiko because it's that good it's absolutely mesmerizing that dial you know it's, the only thing that comes close to it is, uh, yeah another seiko or a grand seiko i think that's pretty much it i can't think of anything that comes close to that thing Okay, follow-up question. So would you both say that at this point in your watch journey, there's not a thought in the back of your mind when you guys think of watches, I need a watch in my collection that represents my financial success, where I am right now? You already know the answer for me. I had I to let that one go. <laughs> I would say no, only because, especially because I don't place a lot of success necessarily on dollar value, but like, for example, I know I had spoken about a Zodiac GMT that was sent to me a while ago uh, that I was kind of demoing, testing out. It was the, the lime green bezel Seawolf GMT. And at the end of it, 
uh, and talking with them, they were like, listen, we want you to keep it. Which am I gonna say? Am I gonna say no to that? Am I gonna say no to that? Absolutely not. That's like that's like a two grand watch, right? It's it's close, but needless to say, regardless of the dollar value, that watch means a ton to me simply because somebody wanted to send that to me because of who I am, my input, and what what my experience with the watch meant to them first and foremost because I. Did not know I was fully intent on giving it back. I didn't size the bracelet even. I threw it on a Tropic so that I could return it to them in great condition and not even have to worry about it. And they said, you know what? Just keep it. You know, thank you for everything you've done and blah, blah, blah. And that meant a ton to me. And for me, that's always going to stand out to me as a, a status watch for me, but not in a dollar value status in a, you know, look what I've achieved. Look what, what, what my opinion, what my input had, had meant to somebody else. And for me, that's, that's sort of a, it's almost like a tearjerker. You know, it's, it's, it's a big deal because again, I, I'm not anybody. I'm a, an average person. I'm somebody who I guess amassed a bunch of followers, you know, whether it be cult following, whether it be, I have, I have a, a knack for humor and sort of a, an interesting take on the industry, whatever you want to say. But you know, it's always, it's still sort of surreal in that fact that even somebody would want to send me something like that, you know, and even that, you know, I was able to put my platform to good use and raise a bunch of money for a good cause. Like it, I know people probably think, you know, you, you get to damn near 30,000 followers. You're like, oh, this is like a day job. You're just like messing around or whatever. Again, I, I don't make it a single dollar off this. Like I'm just out here doing it for the fun of it. But like, it has never gotten old. It has never gotten to the point of, like staleness or like that I deserve this. Like I'm still very humbled by the whole thing and like meeting people. And even, I mean, Brian, the other day you said you, you were talking with a colleague who, who knew of me and I was, it, I'm still blown away by that. Like that that's still wild. That's wild. Yeah. What, what's important though about that is that you're, you, like you did it cause you're you, right? You, you didn't do it cause you're one of those fake ass reviewers who like wants to talk about a watch, like they fake like it or whatever. They don't say anything that they dislike about the watch or anything. They just put it out there. Um, and it's not like particularly engaging content. It's more like, here's a rattle off of the specs and like, blah, blah, blah. You know, they post it on YouTube or something because those people are a dime a dozen, right? They're just absolutely everywhere. You have a different, a, a, I don't know, a different identity uh, in my opinion. And I don't know. I just think it's pretty awesome. The fact that they were just like, you know what? We just like you. So here, have this cool ass watch. Yeah. And, and that's sort of something I've always sort of harped on is first of all, do people who have this influence, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, um, I, you know, I go back and forth on whether or not they help or hurt things because obviously exposure to new things is always good, but that subconscious nudge in a direction I've always sort of, gone against in my own personal beliefs and sort of my own mantras. Like I, I don't like the, I've always sort of encouraged the make your own opinion as opposed to the, you should be thinking this, even if you don't now like that, it's always sort of bothered me. And I, it's, it's a question that I've struggled with for the, I guess the average person is, so how do they, how do you cut through the nonsense? How do you cut through the BS? I pay I pay less and less attention to all the watch sites. You're basically the only watch Instagram account that I pay attention to. Um, 
I just go about it my own way, uh, more so these days than I did in the past. I told you guys that, uh, you know, that Hodinky Talking Watches video nudged me into making a purchase. Now, was that ethical on John Mayer's part? Yeah, I think it was, I think it's fine. He doesn't work for IWC. He wasn't trying to uh, profit from it in any way. He's just passionate about the brand, but also at the same time, he, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, I just, as time has passed, I've just paid less and less attention to it. I can't remember the last time I've, I've logged into Hodinkee or blog to watch. Um, I just go on my own, own own journey and do my own research. Put it short. For me, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. You know, I'm looking at all the tiny little details because like everybody's, everybody's going to say very favorable things about a certain watch product, you know, whatever. It almost seems like it's all just like sunshine and fairy tales when you start looking at these things, but you know, then no, there are clearly some watches that are just better, better made higher degree of finishing, better craftsmanship, tighter tolerances, whatever you want to call it, right? And for me, I hone in on all these tiny little details, right? When I, when I look at, at, I have my favorite like YouTube channels that do watch reviews and I look for the ones that have very high quality, you know, high quality um, video on it, not just in terms of like the actual content organization, but actually seeing the product itself. I look at tiny little things like how well can I see the reflection of the person and the camera that they're using in the case side of the watch, right? You can see very clearly that some brands stack up better than others. Like every time I see a Grand Seiko, Zeratsu polishing, I can see the person reviewing the watch in the side of that case. Now that sounds probably really, really neurotic, but to me, that's something that really stands out every single time. You see that with Vacheron quite a lot. Right. And you see it with some of these lower end models, too. But like, you know, when I see 10, 15, 20 thousand dollar watches that don't necessarily stack up to that, that sticks out of my mind. Right. And then I remember that and I think to myself, OK, cool. So these brands have really, really good finishing. OK, cool. I look at other little things, um, you know, bracelets and how, how easy it is for someone to actually open it up, turn, you know, close it. I listen to the little clunk of the class when they put it on their wrist. You know, I listen to all those tiny little details. Now, granted, I don't think everybody's going to go and do that like I am because, you know, I'm kind of a, a, a watch loser and huge snob. But like, I look at those kinds of details and I try to hone in on them when it would otherwise be an experience that I could only feel in person. You know, I basically otherwise don't believe anything that the person is actually saying other than what are the specifications and what does it sell for? Because everything else after that is totally subjective and yeah, both I mean, of you both of you who have sort of backgrounds in the i don't want to say marketing space brian you definitely do but just in the sort of corporate world in general i mean i think it's it's kind of basic just math that you find people with a reach you can exploit that reach if you send them something for free or at a what seems like a gain right they are now even if there is no compensation exchange here, they're already influenced to give positivity in return, right? And even if they just send it back to you, they get content out of it, they send you a positive feedback publicly, you get your watch back, you can sell it elsewhere or whatever, or send it to somebody new. Now they are on to the next one. They People see, oh, they play ball. Let's offer to send them one of ours. 
and now they'll start the cycle again. And it's sort of just a self-perpetuating monster here in that how can you take what anybody says at face value if they, I mean, look, if you can find somebody's channel who has a hundred reviews and they've never, ever had a negative one, I don't know how you could take that seriously. Like yeah. even watches that I love, I will give you points to it that I dislike, that I hate, or that I'm just not a fan of in general. I don't think I've ever found a watch that I say this watch is hundred percent perfect, right? My Schoenbund, I absolutely love it. There are things about it. I would change. It's, it's just, it, first of all, everything is super subjective and that's fine. But even trying to be as objective as you can be, there is no way that you can review so many pieces, look at so many different watches, and just have such glowing reviews for all of it without some sort of ulterior motive. And I guess that's where my beefs have always lied with the influence space and that I've always tried not to follow and that I, I've never done these extensive reviews and sort of pay for play situations myself. So... I don't know. I, I, it's just something that has never sat that well with me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a legitimate problem. Uh, the, you know, the Tim Masso's of the world, um, they built their followings because they started off with good content. And, uh, once they built a following, you know, that drew the eyes of advertisers and people trying to, trying to sell something. Um, And that's kind of why this hobby sucks is you don't really know until you make the purchase yourself and you wear it for, for a few weeks. Right. But, but that's an expensive process. Sure is. Yeah. And I agree. I don't think you, I don't think you really can take those people on that seriously. You know, I think, I think to me, it's, it's a form of dishonesty. You know, you're, 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 you're trying to pose as if you're providing honest feedback on something, but you're not. You know, and I think that to, that to me, like people should be ashamed for that sort of thing, right? You should be able to actually go and say, yeah, you know what? The bracelet on this watch sucks. Straight up, guys. Everything, everything else I like about it, but this bracelet sucks or something. Or how about how about the ones <laughs> that that review the watches that they sell in their own marketplaces? Right? Like, come on. Like, really, dude? Like, they, that's just like, it's so transparent to me. And it's just so like... <sighs> Like, why am I even, why am I even giving you the traffic? Right? Like, cause you're, you're, you're selling the product. This is not a review. It's a sales pitch. And I wish you would just say that it's a sales pitch. Why don't you open up and say, Hey, listen, we sell this watch in our store. We really think that you'll love it. You should consider purchasing it or something. Right. Instead they go and pose as a review and Oh, by the way, we sell this, you know, here's the link. And you're like, come on, dude. Like that's not a review at all. That's not a review. And that's not what I came here for, but you know, for the new person, they might, they might not see it that way. I don't know. I just think that, I think that people should be able to, to provide like the, the feedback on it and kind of just like, it's like, it's like buying a car. Like you're, there are going to be things that, that no matter what are going to irk you, even if it's just the, the slightest little thing. And that's okay because there is no perfect product. Right. And if you're, if you're telling yourself, this is the perfect product, you're just in the honeymoon phase of owning that thing. Right. And you're, and this comes back to my previous point about being honest with yourself and the things that you own. Right. And I think that if somebody honestly is true saying to you and they believe their own, I don't know, BS um, that the, that this product, whether it's a watch or anything else is just absolutely wonderful. And everything is just, you know, candy canes and gummy bears about it then 
that's that's your cue in the back of your head. Okay, you know what? Maybe this person isn't being, you know, not just on, you know, dishonest with their their viewers, but also even dishonest with themselves too, in their own miniature collecting journey. Or maybe it's just BS anyway. And it's just content that they're creating because you know YouTube. But I don't know. That's how I feel. Interestingly, all of this BS that we're talking about has created an opportunity for Bro here to step in and call bullshit on this. There's something to be said about the 27,000 followers that can all relate to bro posting a meme that hits home, right? Like uh, you see an ad, you buy something online, it arrives on your front step, you open the box and it's garbage, right? We can all relate to that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, we, I, I, I don't want to call any brand names in specific in doing this um unless you know i don't know bro that's cool with your with your, your the type of content that you're creating but i remember us going to a watch show right very popular watch show in new york and going to a very specific brand right with a very new release very high profile release we're already you guys know what i'm talking about right a certain um baseball manager wears one of their products and <laughs> And it's holding this thing, and it's just like the biggest letdown for like a five-figure watch. And it's like, and he wears like, that one, by the way. Yeah, I, yeah, I know, I know. So I'm like, you know, and, and like the tolerances are absolute crap. Like, like the the bracelet, like, like it's a fitted bracelet, but you can move it back and forth. And, and it's like, I thought, I thought, know, he was like, so, I thought he was talking about Manta before he brought up the baseball manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, but that that's another good one, right? Um, but but. Nah, um, you know what I mean? Like, and that was just like, ugh, you know, like you see pictures or something and it's like, this is a really interesting product or you, what have you. And then you, you, you hold their products in the flesh and it's just like, eh, eh. Yeah. I could, I, this did not live up to my expectations, right? But you, at that time, you could not find a bad review of that product at all anywhere. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to go look for it right now, but I bet you'd still be hard to find something like that how many people even own that thing <laughs> i've never i've never seen or read a bad review on manta but i think they're garbage based on my experience <laughs> i've never seen <laughs> or heard a bad review on um what's that brand notice but i felt their watches i thought they were garbage um laurier was kind of garbage we 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 met the uh, the owners though they they seem nice so I'm sorry but your watches are kind of, <laughs> your watches are kind of garbage your product sucks but you seem nice <laughs> you know who actually impressed me at that show was Bayer remember Bayer I do at that point they only had a couple I want to say they they almost only had quartz watches at that point. yeah that was that was it but it was like a hundred dollar quartz watch or, or a ninety dollar quartz watch and it was like you know, actually, it's not that bad. Well, that goes you know, back to your it, smiles per dollar, right? I mean, yeah. If that'll get you five and a half smiles per dollar for ninety bucks, whereas you could buy, I don't know, that what I don't remember what brand it was where the the guy didn't know why the watch was ticking twice. It was a quartz watch, and he, he's like, I don't know why this is doing it. And it's, you know, quartz movement where the battery's running low and it, it, it jumps twice that. instead of every every second. Don't you like, love that when the person selling the product knows less about it than you? Dude, I wanted to like um, analogy. I wanted to like what's that brand? Autodromo. 
Was that the oh, watch the group that, B. The, yeah, the, yeah. The, that crown, was, the, that was... the crown fell out. The, like, the movement fell out. Yeah, I, I told that story. I, I told that story a couple times yeah. on here where the, the crowd fell out. And you're like, do I have to pay for this? Like, I wanted, I wanted <laughs> to like that, Brent, and then that happened in my hands. <laughs> how am I going to buy? How am I going to trust? Wait, <laughs> 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 you, you, you have one now, though, don't you? It is. It's honestly, it's pretty cool. It's 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 very no nonsense, and it's very um, I don't want to say basic, but I mean they all they make mostly largely, you know, your three handers. How are the smiles per dollar on that one? Pretty good. I I really can't complain too much about okay, it. I think it's, it's it's a great summer watch, but uh, needless to say, I, I don't know if we're uh, gonna get into wind up New York here, fellas. <laughs> when is it? <laughs> October. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's all good. I'll just use a fake name. We're not that people aren't going to see our images on this, right? So I know what I will just secretly talk smack about all the all the watches on display. Some of them, some of them are good. I was actually impressed with a couple of the brands there. Monta was such garbage. I'll never forget how 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 crappy that watch felt. I was shocked. I was shocked at how crappy it felt because all of the good reviews and good feedback on that brand. Well, here's part of my my gripe, and and you know what's funny is I haven't really heard much from them since that period where they were red hot, where everything they put out was a, a right a killer, right right. Um, but that's sort of my gripe is you have these brands that are sort of I don't know what you call them, friend, like friends of the the people, right? And mm-hmm. then there's there's no speaking out against them, otherwise you're you're like anti watch person, right? right. You. It, it it puts people in a weird position and it 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 makes it hard to say oh you know i'm i'm not that into it like i'm i'm not a huge fan of like pers- like for example the the newer aquas with the gold bezel that watch just doesn't do it for me and i think that's okay like i don't have to like every single watch that comes out that that one with the green mother of pearl dial i like that one i can pick and choose everybody can pick and choose you don't have to have an allegiance to a brand name because there are people behind it they listen, they donated me a watch last year. I'm forever grateful for that. I will forever thank them for that. It was a yeah, tremendous, awesome. move, tremendous move on their part. It speaks volumes about who they are as a brand. It does not mean I have to get on my knees and, you know, uh, worship yeah, every, every single thing that they release. And I would hope that they appreciate that. I would hope that at the end of the day, they would appreciate the, uh, authenticity yes the, the authenticity honesty. yeah yes that where people would say this is great this is not for me this hits this doesn't listen i work in an industry where every single thing you put out is per someone's taste not everybody's gonna like everything you make it's just mm-hmm. something you have to accept quite literally well said yeah yeah so so I guess uh, last thing I want to touch on is I guess what uh, has sort of set you on your own path of collecting that doesn't factor into this hype in this, I don't know, this marketing, digital advertising world that we live in where everything seems to be a promotion, whether paid, not, you know, backdoor handshake, whatever it might be. What what has sort of set you in your own path of collecting, whether it be I'm trying to condense down a one, like what makes you choose that one or what makes you sort of decide what you were about these days, as opposed to just liking everything, which seems to be kind of the norm. 
Yeah, my own my own personal greatest discovery in my journey was realizing that <clears throat> I need one watch. I can't even have two, let alone three. Um, I just hate making that decision every day. So for me, it came down to finding one watch that um, I could put on every day and, and be happy with. Um, and I came to the watch that I currently have, the Zin, because uh, I, I appreciate, they, they seem to me like a brand who stays away from all the bullshit. Like they have a mission. Uh, this, this is my own read of what they're trying to do. They have a mission. They know what they want to do. They know what kind of watches they want to put out. They stay away from all the BS. And I think all of their designs, they prioritize function over form. Might not look the sexiest, might not look the best, but does it not scratch? Check. Uh, does it tell a good time? Check. Uh, does it keep humidity down inside the case? Check. Like all these little things, that's what they care about. They don't care about, are we advertising to the right, um, to the right demographic here? Uh, are we in the right markets? I'm sure, I'm sure those conversations are happening, but um, they, they, they just seem to me like a genuine function of a form brand. And I like that, that, that kind of uh, pull on my heartstrings. So that's where I'm currently. I know another thing this journey has taught me is that things change. So things can change but that's where I'm currently. If you don't count like my gym watch and you don't count a couple of pieces that were gifted to me by family and friends, I only have one watch that I have bought for myself and everything else I've sold. And that's that Seiko. Um, I have a, an Omega and Bryant, you gave me an Orient. Still wear it, still love it, but that's it. And the reason why I'm, I'm down that low comes back to the smiles per dollar thing. Because if I weigh the watches that I have with that, how much enjoyment am I getting out of it? All right, if my collection is too big, then actually I'm not getting that much enjoyment out of it. Uh, all right, cool, I'm gonna go sell it and get my money back. All right, and every single time I look at another a new piece, I ask myself, how much am I actually going to enjoy this thing? How much use am I going to get out of it? And I think that I probably have enough space for maybe one maybe a stretch for two more pieces, but then I still, I still ask myself, okay, well, can I take that money and can I use it in another place in my life? Because you know what, there are things out, you know, beyond watches. And I'm sure that goes to that saying for a lot of folks, but then again, there are some people that are really, really engrossed in the hobby and have collections of dozens and dozens of pieces. And it feels like an addiction, right? We've certainly talked to those people and I've definitely had a, a bigger collection of points. We, I think we, we all have. Sure. So I feel like, you know, it's, it's an important metric, honestly, the smiles, for me at least, I don't know about anyone else, but the smiles per dollar metric is a really important one. So I ask myself constantly, like, you know, do I really, really love this piece? And should I go and, and buy that? Or should I go spend the money on something else? You know, um, and barring, you know, any like necessities, you know, if you need to do like improvements on your home or something like that, or you have a large ex expense, you know, I just ask myself, like, what would I really, really enjoy out of something like this? If I was to go spend you know, five, $6,000 on an Omega, or maybe, you know, five or 600 bucks on a Seiko or one or $200 on an Orient. It doesn't really matter what it is. You know, could I go and spend that money doing something else in my life? And would that give me the same level of enjoyment? Yes or no? You know, um, 
yeah, I can go buy an Omega. I could also buy, I don't know, a project car because I like cars. Or I could go and buy, I don't know, uh, a steak dinner for the price of, um, you know, a Seiko or something like that, you know, do a nice night out with with me and, you know, and my girl or something. So like that's, you got to ask yourself, like, what, what are the things that are really ma- matter to you the most? And, um, you know, I think at a certain point, you kind of just say to yourself, eh, it can wait or I'll wait to the next one that really, really grabs me. And I go, yeah, you know what? That thing is just awesome. I got to have it. And um, for me, there really aren't that many pieces out there that really do that. No, none of like the new releases, the vintage watches. Yes. But that's really about it. And I'm waiting for that next new piece that grabs me from a design aspect and yet is such a great value at the same time, while still having a very good level of craftsmanship where the smiles would be really high and the dollar is low. And I go, yep, time to pull the trigger. So we, we talk about uh, vice grip, right? What's the next level above vice grip? Castration. Castration. Straight, yeah, so, <laughs> so for the people who don't know this, this is, this is, I've like, spoken about when, this before, when they grab you, we mean grab you by the balls and, and, and Brian's talking about vice grip, like just won't let go, will not let go of your watch balls. So what is the level beyond, beyond vice grip? You're saying like death clutch, like straight up, you know, you're going to lose them. You're getting yeah. neutered. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a watch that, that I'm willing to, to, to lose him for, but you know what? At some point I might, I might be stupid enough to do it. Might be the Pelagos. Is that, is that what a grail watch is? <laughs> might be the Pelagos left-hand drive for me. But again, I know if I get that watch, I'm going to hate having two. And uh, that'll probably end up going. Like you, know, you have to come up with a, a no thought system where you're just like, this is the odd day watch. This is the even day watch. I do not deviate. That's I don't it. even want, <laughs> I don't even want to think that much. I don't want to even have to think is today an odd day or an even day. I just want to grab and put on my wrist. Like that's, that's me. It really perturbs me when I have to make a decision like that. All right, guys. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I think this is up well over an hour now. And I, I think it's funny because we kind of just let it roll like we always do. And I haven't really been keeping super accurate time here, but uh, it's definitely gone some interesting places. Um, I want to thank you both for coming on. And uh, again, these are, are two people who are near and dear to me who have always sort of helped keep me grounded, especially in this hobby. People that I... I encourage the input of and people that i i sort of use as my my daily reality check and just genuinely have fun with and so uh i i'm super grateful for both of you for being willing to come on here especially because we tried to get this thing going a long time ago and now that it's it, it's finally sort of made its way here uh it it's sort of uh bittersweet in that regard it took it took 39 episodes but we're here um so thank <laughs> you guys for stepping in for schmidt and uh you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to having either one of you back on at any time. But, uh, you know, thank you for, for coming on tonight and for, for always sort of uh, contributing to uh, my own growth in that regard, because I, I don't I don't know if the page would be what it is without either one of you. So uh, thank you in that regard. And, um, you know, I hope you guys had fun.
Yeah, Thanks this was fun. Well, let's do this again. Let's let's do an outdoor session next time. Some stoves. Well, I'll never say no to that. So, uh, well, don't you that, have those like those Friday night, you know, craziness or whatever? We, with uh, uh, we, we we haven't in a while. Uh, Ke Kelly's been on the road with uh, her husband a little bit. They've been they bought a new house. They've been moving and stuff. So we haven't done that in a while. But maybe we could. Uh, I always thought like I always thought almost like a live episode would be like a fun idea. But that's that's something to kick around. At Matador. That's yeah, that's a great idea, dude. Yeah, right. Stokes with bro. Yeah, for sure. And Ashley, hopefully. Oh my gosh, yeah. Please please, please bring Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, episode 39 of the Rich Cheese Radio Podcast. Signing off. Thank you again for tuning in. Boys, have Bye. a good night.